0: Guys, welcome back to Revive School. You know, it feels like a new era. Here we are studying the Gospels. And now, when we talk about the Gospels, it it literally means good news. And so, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to talk about the good news how, yes, all of us are, we have what we would consider the sin and the death, the bad news, but praise the Lord because of Jesus, we have the Gospel, we have the good news. And so, specifically with the book of Matthew, now remember, In the Old Testament, what did we do? We gave one word per book of the Bible. So just an example, uh, our word, Kevin, for Genesis was what? Seed. And how the seed, we know that through the seed of Abraham, it ultimately points to the seed of Christ. Now, we're going to do the same thing even in the New Testament. We're going to give you one word. And, you know, I love this. Here you have Mindy's painting, the one word. And it's absolutely, I, I think maybe it's my favorite. I don't know. Genesis is really close to this. One word for the book of Matthew that talks about Jesus, talks about the Messiah, is king. And so what I love, this is incredible. Look at this picture of here you have Jesus, have an image of as a baby, but then you also have an image of a king. We're going to walk through even today what this tree represents, what this painting represents. So what we're going to do with the book of Matthew is we're going to focus on for the next couple weeks, Jesus as king. Hopefully every time you see this painting, you just automatically think of king But this word king, and think about this, 22 times it's written in the book of Matthew. So, you know, we are emphasizing king and kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is referenced 32 times in the book of Matthew. And so hopefully you begin to see this theme. Now, Matthew is, he's one of the 12. Kevin, do you remember, or uh, Jeff, do you guys remember, uh, what was another name for Matthew? Levi. Levi. And Rich, do you remember what Levi's actual occupation was at the time? Yeah, he was a tax collector. He was a tax collector. And so here you have a tax collector, Matthew Levi. He left everything. He really left, I believe, his identity, his past to follow Christ, to be a follower of Yeshua. And he's the guy that's writing his perspective of Jesus as king. Now, his audience, this is great, is predominantly Jewish. Predominantly, he's talking to, to Jewish believers. Now, you can still be, here's what's crazy. You can still be Jewish and still love Jesus, When we talk about Jews, we're not saying you got to leave everything. We're just saying embrace Yeshua, embrace Jesus in this context. And so that's what we're going to talk about, how's Jesus. I want you to embrace Jesus as a king, and you can still stay Jewish. Some of that language gets a little confusing, but what I want to walk through is Jesus's lineage. Now, this is a cool picture. Here you have a family tree. I know this gets hokey every time I say this, but whenever I see a family tree, I think of Ancestry.com. Oh, yeah, I wonder if I submitted my information or I did a DNA test where my, my background would be from. If you don't know your background, you know, it's kind of worth, it's kind of worth looking into. I've actually wanted to take a DNS, DNA test just to see if I'm part Jewish. Because I've always wanted to have citizenship in Israel. I think the only way I'm going to get citizenship, citizen, <laughs> citizenship is when ultimately the Messiah comes back. But that's another story. So now think about this, okay? We're going to talk about the genealogy. Now, before we get into Matthew 1, just because it was the first day on the, the Gospel of Matthew, just a couple things that stand out in the book of Matthew, besides Jesus being king, is that, you know, there's, there's Joseph's dream, okay? That's very unique in Matthew. You're not going to find that in the other Gospels. You know, about the visitation of the wise men. Again, you're not going to see that. How about the flight uh, in Egypt? Hey, let's go one place and let's come back. You're not going to see that in the context of other Gospels. Even when Herod threatens to kill the children, even the craziest one to me, and I know there's multiple ones, Judas actually repents in the Gospel of Matthew. Then you have the dream of, every time I see this, Pilate, it's not Pilates, uh, Pilate's wife. You know, she has a dream, right, about John the Baptist and this whole scenario. It even talks about um, the bribery of the soldiers. And then my favorite, ultimately, which has impacted my life personally, aside from the death, burial, and resurrection, is the commission the Great Commission in Matthew 28. So you have multiple things that Matthew begins to write about, paints a picture of Jesus as king. You know, and I got to tell you, when you study Matthew 1, we're going to feel like we're studying the Pentateuch again, though. We're going to feel like, oh, we just, we're really actually studying what we've been talking about for multiple months. And so here's what I mean by that. If you go to Matthew 1, verse 1, it says the historical record, which is talking about the origin, the roots Of Jesus Christ. And and right away in verse 1, it identifies Jesus with two people. Now, I'm totally serious about this. Jesus's last name is not Christ. Okay, when we talk about a genealogy, when we talk about lineage, you know, oh, you know, tell me about Jesus's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Like, it's not how that works. I promise you, though, somebody listening Thinks, oh, that's an interesting last name. Jesus is also a common name, strangely enough, okay? It's a common name during that time frame as well. Uh, And, you know, the part that really is confusing, and I'm just going to say it, you know, in America today, uh, Jesus in the the Mexican culture, it looks like Jesus. That's another, yeah, Rich, doesn't it? You got that backwards. It's Jesus and it looks like Jesus. (laughs) So let's just clarify this isn't Jesus and then Christ isn't his last name. OK, I'm talking about the origin because I think how people think, you know, when you when you go in the public situations. And so we're talking about the actual Messiah here. What is his roots and how is he connected? First of all, it says he's the son of David. Why would a tax collector, why would Levi, why would Matthew, the follower of Jesus, first identify Jesus Christ to the son of David? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, Matthew's writing from the perspective of a king, and David was the king that everybody would know. Absolutely. And, and in fact, Kevin, since you're such uh, the person of knowledge on this topic, would you go to 2 Samuel 7, verse 12? Uh, and I love this because if you are of, of any uh, Jewish descent, you would know that when you're referencing the son of David, you're going you're gonna to automatically go to the Davidic covenant. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, okay, David when you die, right? And then you actually rest with your patriarchs, when you rest with the Abraham, the Isaacs, the Jacobs. This is what it's talking about. I will raise up after you, your descendant. Now we could automatically assume that his descendant right away, just practically when there is a prophetic word, I think it can be a here and now and then one coming. Does that makes sense. It's always, it can talk about a current situation, but then there's a bigger picture in mind. So your descendant would be rich, who would be who? Jesus. No, your descendant. Yes, this is good. Maybe you're the new Kevin for the Gospels. My <laughs> brain was somewhere else. It was just- <laughs> so, okay, it, when in doubt, it's always Jesus. Yes, I got that. Thanks, Rich. But your descendant in this context is Solomon, who will come from your body. But then it does eventually point to Rich's squirrel answer, Jesus. I know I'm supposed to say squirrel, but I want to say Jesus, right? You know, uh, he says, "And I will establish his kingdom." And so we know that through Solomon, ultimately. Ultimately, it will point to the Messiah. Ultimately, it will point to Jesus. So he establishes the kingdom through David. And so if you are of Jewish descent, you're going to know that when it says he is the son of David, this is a descendant actually from 2 Samuel 7, which then goes back to Mindy's simple painting of the king. I had a professor at Dallas Seminary, Stanley to Saint loved this professor from Minnesota, loved his accent. Uh, There's a fun story about him. And he wrote a a commentary on the book of Matthew. And I remember in class, and I'd never heard that there were themes for books. I'd never heard that, oh yeah, Jesus is painted as a king in Matthew. Like that was all new to me. But then when you start realizing in in the Old Testament, which we'll get to, you know, the historical books, we'll get to this, uh, you know, the Chronicles and, and the first and second Samuel. But this is all pointing to the Messiah. So, why is it important in a genealogy? Okay, why is it important to to show Jesus's roots to David? Why is it important to show Jesus's roots to uh, to Abraham? Because I want to give you just three quick quick things. It comes from Nelson's commentary. Well, one is is that we want to show you that Jesus was actually a person. Okay, that sounds funny. As an Israelite, we want to show you that his roots were tied to being an Israelite, like. If I want to show that I'm originally from, you know, Germany or I'm an American, you want to show your family line that proves they were Americans or that they were Germans. So another point that Nelson says is that you want to also identify Jesus in his uh, lineage as one of the tribes. You know, we have, (laughs) Rich, how many tribes? That would be 12. Good. I just thought maybe you'd just say Jesus. There's 12 tribes. He's part of the 12. He is. (laughs) Uh, do you guys remember which tribe he's from? That would be Judah. Judah. Wow, Rich is on a roll now. So, so you want to identify, and we'll get to that, which tribe that Jesus is from. So we want to prove that he's Israelite. We want to prove that he's from the, the line of Judah. Interesting enough, in Genesis 49.10, Kevin, if you'd go there, here you have, "...the scepter will not depart from Judah, or the staff from between, between his feet, until he whose right it comes." And the obedience of the peoples belong to him. So here you have an image of the descendant of Judah that it'll last forever. The the scepter will not depart from Judah. So it's important that when we go through the lineage of Matthew 1, we want to make sure that Jesus is tied to Judah. Otherwise, Jesus cannot be the Messiah. Otherwise, Jesus cannot be uh, the coming Messiah that, that David is talking about and also here Moses is talking about. So it's really important. But then we also want to, number three that Nelson says, I think this is important, not only do we want to prove is he Israelite, not only do we want to prove that he's from the line of Judah, tribe of Judah, but we also want to prove that he's a, a qualified, this is interesting, in, in a genealogy, you want to show that he's a qualified certain Jew for religious duties, okay? Not just specifically Jesus, but in any genealogy, is, if, if he's from the the line of Judah, then he needs to make sure he falls under that category. But if he's from the tribe of Levi, then we know that he has to serve as a priest. We know that he has to serve in in that lineage. And so you always want to prove in genealogy their backdrop, which would then allow them to walk in their calling. And here's what I mean in verse 2. Now watch this, okay? I don't want to overlook the son of Abraham, but just know that in Genesis 12, in verse 1, it's kind of obvious, but in Genesis 12, it talks about the seed that ultimately is going to last forever. We know that we have the kingdom of David coming through Jesus. And then we have this seed, the seed that we talked about in Genesis, that comes through Jesus. Now watch in verse 2. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah. Here we go. There's his lineage and his brothers. Notice it doesn't... Kevin, why doesn't it list all 12 tribes? Do you remember? Uh, It's not because he ran out of space. (laughs) He's just not going to list Naphtali and Zebulon. He's not going to list Simeon and Reuben or... Asher or, or Gad, he's going to emphasize Judah because Jesus need to be tied to that lineage. And what you're going to see specifically for 14 generations, okay, this is kind of cool, is that from Abraham to David, that's what, uh, that's what we're going to prove. You're going to see 14 is the number, 14 generations, and it's going to go verses 1 through 6a. And so really without going into a whole lot of detail, I just want to show that in verse 3 it says Judah... Okay, that was his lineage, fathered Perez and Zara by Tamar. Now, uh, what I want to do on the right side is, is that you're going to see five women listed. It's kind of random, and you're kind of like, why, why is Tamar listed? Rich, I think you're pretty, you have some good insight on this. Why was Tamar listed as, as one of the five women? Tamar would have been listed just because of she slept with her father-in-law, Judah. If Tamar didn't act like a prostitute... And didn't have sexual relations with her father-in-law, we don't know if Jesus would be here today. And so I think it's interesting that Jesus, you know, in the lineage, Matthew writes about the greats—David and Abraham and Judah. You know, and then she lists, and then he lists Tamar. Now I have on, my, on the back of my notes here, Tom Constable, professor at Dallas Seminary. So if you're if you're new to uh, Revive School, if you're new to as we study through the Gospels, I'm going to have some regular commentaries. It's not like I'm friends with these guys. It's not like I'm really good buddies, but I am by studying them. So you'll hear a lot about Warren Wiersbe and Tom Constable and John MacArthur. And then I'll throw in some Kevin McElraveys. And, you know, I I just think that God's going to continue to give us insight in this. But here's what Constable says. Why would you include women in this? One is, I think he just wants to emphasize sinners are included in the genealogy of Christ regardless of it's women or not. But he's emphasizing, oh, yeah, these women in this context messed up. But now we don't want to just paint a picture of women as sinners. And number two, he just says, you know, I love that Jesus has a universal character of his ministry in the kingdom. He's not selective in who he does ministry to. He's not selective in who God can can use. He can use sinners. And guess what? He can use Jews and Gentiles. It doesn't matter where they come from. Now, why women? I think this is kind of cool because he wants to show um, what the, the role of Mary. He wants to build this up so that it's not just like, wait, God just used one woman. Mary, no, he used Tamar. We'll get into the other ones. He used Rahab. He used Ruth. And so it's kind of like he's strategic in this lineage to get to that point of a Virgin Mary. Oh, but if he can use this person, he could then use Mary. Just thought it was a good insight by a Constable. He also then says and I like this one. He shows that why would we include women in this? Because there are irregular marital unions in the Messiah's legal ancestry. That makes sense. Like Tamar and the father-in-law. Yeah, that's not exactly how we would design marriage. It's not exactly how we would design a person to have sexual relations. But God can use those contexts. God can use those people. To point people to Jesus. So, as an encouragement, maybe you've messed up in the past. I I think all of us have. (laughs) But specifically in that area of sexual immorality, you know what? God can still redeem it. God can still redeem the kids. And I'm serious that you have, and you're like, why do I have these kids? Because it wasn't of God. Does that make sense? I think we play these games. But God is always in the business of redemption, and He can use them, and He can still use you. Now, one of the last points that Constable says about why, why would he use women like Tamar? Why would he list them? This is kind of cool, is that the Gentiles, Tamar, right, or other, other women, okay, maybe not necessarily Tamar, God used the Gentiles to show extraordinary faith. You know, maybe they weren't the famous Israelites. Maybe they weren't the famous Jews from a certain family. But God can use Rahab, a prostitute, when, you know, she shouldn't have been used. In fact, she probably was checked out. But God can use any of us that walked by radical faith. So here you have 14 generations, verses 1 through 6, and God lists in this genealogy Matthew writes Tamar. Okay, now in verse 4, I love this, Aram fathered Abinadab, Abinadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz. Now watch this, okay, our second woman fathered Boaz by Rahab. Now we've already said this, but Rahab, you guys, here you have this famous prostitute, right? Uh, this this Gentile prostitute found in Joshua two in Jericho to help the scout, to help the spies, to help the scouts. God used her to prepare the way for them to cross over into the land. But then He doesn't stop there. He says, um, uh, "Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth." Now, I don't know, Jeff, Kevin, do you remember who Ruth is in this story? <laughs> yeah, Ruth. Ruth, her husband had died and she uh, connected with Boaz and eventually, you know, was in the lineage. So it's well done, Jeff. Uh, Here you have a Moabite woman, their family's background would have been some form of worshiper of idols, their family's background. And God uses Ruth, right? to be in the lineage of Jesus. Now watch this. Obed fathered Jesse, and here you go, and Jesse fathered, and I love that this is the only time in all of the genealogy in Matthew 1 that you you have an actual title of king in anybody's name, King David. Jesus is tied to King David. And look at this, already to this point, God has used three women. I'm not minimizing by saying that, I'm just emphasizing God can use anybody at any given time. And it doesn't matter your background. Some of you are like, man, I have so messed up in some of my life. There's no way that God can still use me. I'm just going to use a specific example. You know, some of you feel like, you know, God, you you got a divorce. And you're kind of like, man, I I don't know. Can God use a divorcee still? I I actually think people ask that question quite often. And I would just say, yes, God can still redeem who you are. Guess why? Because the cross takes care of that stuff. And I think the genealogy emphasizes, yes, Jesus is pointed to King David. Yes, he's pointed to the son of Abraham. But you know who also he's pointed to? The Tamars and the Rahabs of the life. I think it's a pretty cool picture. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David, verses 1 through 6a. Now what you're going to see is, is at the beginning of uh, 6b, it says, then David uh, fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Now we know, Kevin, who's Uriah's wife? I think it's an interesting way of putting it. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. That's the only way I remember how to spell it. Here you have Bathsheba. I think he. I like this that he listed Uriah's wife, not uh, Bathsheba, because what he's doing, he's tying Bathsheba to a Hittite. He's tying Bathsheba to. Oh, these people are not even of our culture, and so here you have God can use even foreigners. God can use people that not are in our lineage. God can use anybody at any given time, and so for the next fourteen generations. Here you're going to have David, and it's going to go all the way what we're going to see to the Babylonian exile. Okay? Uh, Rich, you got any insight on the Babylonian exile by chance? Just what that is briefly? Yeah, Babylon came in and conquered the the Jewish people and then hauled them off into exile. They became their slaves. So as they got hauled off, I think this is interesting, though. We're talking about the time that David was a king to the time they became slaves. And so Jesus is tied to this lineage. In verse 7, Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Uh, fathered, uh, Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, right? Uh, Jehoshaphat fathered uh, Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Josem. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon, Father, Jozod. Uh I, I just think, I just think this would be cool, like, when we get to heaven, be like, oh, yeah, hey, you're that guy in one of the, the 42 generations. Like, nobody knows, but yet God says, oh, I, I used Ahaz, <laughs> or I used Hezekiah, or I used Manasseh, or I used Amon. God can use any of, you know, the no-name people to be a part of the lineage of Christ. He's not like exclusive, oh, I only go after the wealthy people who love to play golf. Or I love to pe- play, I love to go after people that are the only ones that go to, to church. I mean, Jesus is very clear. I go not after the well, but I go after the sick. And so just keep this in mind. The lineage, it's not this, it's not this family tree that's only exclusive if you have a membership card because you go to a Baptist church. You know, it's not exclusive if you're like, oh, I go to an AG church and I I speak in tongues. But I think we have in this mindset, I can't be a part of the family tree. I can't be adopted. I can't be grafted into the family unless I have my act together. Guess what? None of us have our act together. That's the reality is that the Tamars, the Rahabs. Oh, but by the way, David, King David. Yeah, he messed up pretty bad, too. God can use any of these individuals to, yes, redeem them and then point people to the Messiah. That's the beautiful picture about the family tree. This family tree is a bunch of hodgepodge people. And Jesus came through those hodgepodge people. He actually came, God in flesh. John 1, 14 says the word became flesh. He became part of flesh so that he could connect with our weaknesses, that he can connect with how we walk through life. He didn't give in to sin, but he still could connect with us. And so here you have all kinds of incredible scripture verses that come through the lineage of Jesus. And then it says in verse 11, Josiah, as you want to wrap up the 14 generations here, he fathered Joconia and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylonian. Now, here's the only thing I want to just say is, is in this context, just because you reference a, a, a genealogy, this is going to sound kind of funny, but, you know, you might know your great, great, great grandfather, but you might not know your great grandfather. Does that make sense? But just because you don't know that one person in between, it doesn't mean that you're still not connected to your great, great, great grandfather. So what you see in the lineage of Matthew 1, there's sometimes that the writer, he just doesn't include every single generation. Okay? It's not a contradiction. It's just like, "Ah, I'm just not going to put that fact in. That make sense? So to me, it it doesn't devalue the Word of God. It just means that Matthew, from his perspective, these people are important to note. And that's really what it comes down to. So as we jump into the last uh, list, you're going to have three lists of generations, 14 generations, 14, 14, and 14. What you're going to have here is it's going to go from the exile, right? All the way to the Messiah. So it actually started with the Messiah and then it's going to end with the Messiah. I think that's a pretty cool and powerful picture. Verses 12 through 16, it just says, and after the exile to Babylon, Babylon, (laughs) Babylon, Jeconia fathered Sheotil, then Salethiel fathered Zerubbabel. And it says in verse 13, Zerubbabel fathered Abiad, Abiad fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor. I mean, who are these people? But they're obviously important enough to know that we needed to have, this is going to sound funny, we needed to have a husband and wife, have relations, have a child so that the generation can continue, that the lineage can continue all the way to the Messiah. Even when people don't know who you are, you can still have an impact for the kingdom of God. Verse 14, Azar fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Akam. Akam fathered Eliud. (laughs) This is awesome. Eliud then fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Mathan. Mathan fathered Jacob. And then this language might actually start sounding familiar to you. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, what you're going to see in the lineage of Matthew is that you're going to see it tied to Joseph, not necessarily Mary. Now, in other lineages, you'll see it tied to Mary. But I think it's important that why you see Joseph, because Joseph in this context, you're going to see that his, uh, I want to read this correctly here. The genealogy establishes John MacArthur says this, his claim to the throne of David as Joseph being the legal heir. So, why is it important to list Joseph being the legal heir? Kevin, we've talked about this before. Do you remember the importance of the legal heir compared to Mary's side? Because um, he wasn't necessarily Jesus' father because of the Holy Spirit. Can I- Biological. Biological, yep. So, biologically, he's not Joseph's son. Scripture says he's going to be actually the child of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that more today if we have time, if not also tomorrow. And so here you have the lineage, the family tree. Joseph's in there. He's the legal heir, but he's not the biological heir of Joseph. And so the writer Matthew, he lives 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. And then all of this, okay, we know that in verse 16, okay, it says, he gave Mary gave birth to Jesus who is called the Messiah. It's a pretty cool picture. Start off with the son of David, the king, he's connected to the king, the son of Abraham. And now here you have in verse 16, Jesus is now going to be born who's called the Messiah. And then in verse 17, it gives you a summary of all of this. So all of the generations from Abraham to David, see how we have it there. And then from David to the Babylonian exile. Don't you love when Scripture actually gives you the sermon outline? <laughs> and then it says there's 14 generations from the exile To the Messiah, there's 14 generations. And then Scripture just would tell you that that is a total of 42, right? 42 generations from the beginning of Matthew 1 all the way to Matthew 1, verse 16. And I think it's cool to me, and I I don't want to get, I'm not going to get into the rest of, of the timing of this, but I do want to say this, and I think this is important, that as a result then, after you've established the family tree, don't you then naturally then begin to talk about your birth? It's just kind of fun to, to relive those days. And then you get to begin to talk about your life. Does that make sense? I think this is cool. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Jesus's life, the rest of the book of Matthew. And so in verse 18, it says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. This is how Jesus was born after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph. Now, this engagement, as soon as you 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 say, you know, as soon as you get on one knee and say, Mary, will you marry me? You're automatically technically considered married. In that context. And usually it's a time frame of a year, but Joseph discovered, this is kind of crazy, before they actually came together, before they actually had relations, okay? He found out that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now look, I don't care what guy you are. If your engaged fiance comes, you says, Hey, been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I don't think any of us would be laughing. You'd be like, Yeah, good one, Mary. Well, see you later. And so then husband, in verse 19, Joseph, being a righteous man, he didn't want to disgrace her publicly because technically they should stone her, right? That's And the guy that apparently did it, but we didn't know who that was because it was the Holy Spirit. It says that he was merciful and he decided to divorce her secretly. But in verse 20, this is really cool, you guys. After he considered these things, an angel shows up to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David, don't, don't be afraid. Now, look, do you see that? There's the lineage again. Joseph, son of David, your lineage. OK, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Because I've orchestrated all of this. Because the family tree, this is cool. Jesus, the Messiah, has been conceived. This little baby's being conceived by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 21, she's going to give birth to a son. And Joseph, I want you to name him Jesus. Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. You know, Jesus, the name Yeshua, it actually means the Lord shall save. And what does he save us from? It's pretty clear Yeshua saves us from the bad news. He saves us from the sin and the death. Think about this. He saved, he was a part of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And don't forget the fifth and final woman is Mary. He uses any one of us so that he can give us life. That's what we're going to talk about through Matthew 1. Yeshua saves and he can use any one of us to point us back to himself. That's the gospel of Matthew chapter 1. Tomorrow we'll do it again with Matthew 2. Thanks.